It's now time for your Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Pallast. This show is Flashpoints. It's the Election Crimes Bulletin. Uh, Greg joins us usually weekly to talk about the, the battle to protect your vote. But Greg, before we jump into this, right. I really I want to talk to you about this George Santos situation. You know, the guy in Queens, uh, on the Queens-Long Island border. Yes. Who was elected to Congress and lied about everything in history. And now he's going to be shown to be also a a scheme in terms of election fraud and how it's recycling money from the other folks. But here's my point, Greg. This is the New York Times area. This is their hometown. This is Queens. The New York Times. What happened to this story, Greg? And Newsday, another award-winning paper. What happened? How could they not get onto this? What did they not do? Would you, you well, think if you were assigned you know, <laughs> to cover that campaign, you wouldn't have found this out, that the guy was a total sham? I, uh, Dennis, I hope you can hear me, yes? I can hear you. Okay, good. All right. I don't think the New York Times can hear me because I keep shouting at them, and I don't get a response. So. I just want to make sure maybe my microphones aren't working. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm laughing about it, but you have to understand. If you read, if you, in fact, if you go to my uh, website, gregpalace.com today, you'll see a story, at end of the year kind of personal note called um, Darkness and Thanks. I have, you know, it's now 22 years covering elections. And you just can't get the stories in the mainstream press. I mean, let's face it. I was in exile. I was sent to – for me to write about the the illegal purge of voters beginning in the 2000 Bush-Gore race when 58,000 black people were removed. I couldn't get that in the Times. The only way I got in the Times is through Paul Krugman putting it in his column and um, and also at the time he had an African-American columnist. So through the columnist, as, as if this were opinion, the most important thing happening in America. I've tried. I just, uh, in fact, one of the stories uh, I wanted to give you today, just and, and, and I got to tell you that, that I, I got to the point where I was beginning to say, I just got to quit. I just want to become a poet like you, Dennis. <laughs> but I know you want to quit too, but we, we're stuck with the same problem, you know. Uh, our, our poets have been silenced while we've had to continue this beat because no one else is doing it. No one else is putting it out. So it's not like they haven't been given the opportunity like, oh, my God, you discovered this wonderful stuff. If only we had. No, no. They were kind of forced into the story about Santos because obviously someone had the information was going to get it out there. That's how, by the way, the way they did the My Lai massacre. Uh, that was done by uh, uh, Ron Ridenauer and uh, Seymour Hirsch. Ridenauer was, by the way, uh, very few people know this, was the main re- uh, investigator reporter on that. And uh, the Times is not going to publish the Milai Massacre. This is the good old days when you actually had some reporters there and until they threatened to read it on the, on the steps, just read the story on the steps of the Pentagon. You know, it's very hard to get these stories out. Uh, so it's, yeah, so there's kind of an emotional, uh, when you ask a simple question, like, why did they miss it? So- it's, people are so these corporate networks, you know, Greg, you know how it goes. These corporate networks worship the New York Times. The New York Times doesn't put it above the fold. The story doesn't exist. I well, can't AP, believe that AP the Times let this one go, though. 
Yeah, we could spend a lot of time on Spike's stories from um, – in fact, yeah. you know, look, I've been doing the story Vigilante. By the way, my uh, through a, a donation from Jamie Foxx, you can see Vigilante now through um, New Year's Day for free. Just go to gregpalace.com to get the info or vigilantemovie.com. But it's only through New Year's Day. And by the way, after that, the movie is fin- fini. You can't see it, pay it, paid, love, free, whatever. So if you want to see the film Vigilante, and in that film, of course, I, I confront this GOP official who has um, re- personally challenged 32,000 voters, personally. And, um, you know, MSN, uh, Rachel Maddow's producer begged me for that film, that you played the audio of that on Flashpoints. So then uh, Rachel Maddow's producer heard it and said, oh, my God, we need that film. And uh, Rachel uh, spiked it, you know, uh, and they weren't going to do that. Like, why were we doing investigative confrontational reporting? Why couldn't we ask the GOP about their illegal removal of voters in a nice, polite press conference when they could say we don't do it? So the problem is they don't want to confront the political establishment because then they lose what they consider access. When I was at BBC, Hmm. when I was they want to go to the to the state dinners and have uh, duck a l'orange with uh, Chairman Xi of China and President Biden. They want to be at the parties. They want to be at the inaugurals. By the way, I threw away my inaugural uh, presidential inauguration uh, ticket that I was given to the ball. I don't do that. We don't do that. We're going after the news, not after how many big shots we can associate with. And this is a big, gigantic problem. And I got to tell you one story. In fact, I'll jump ahead to it. Then we'll get back to something very important, which is the – uh, the release of the transcripts on January 6th committee. But one of the things I wanted to mention right. is that while everyone's going hooray about Reverend Warnock being reelected in Georgia by a squeaker, by a squeaker, and that's because of vote suppression, it was a squeaker. But what about the squeaker loss, the, the upset shock loss of Mandela Barnes, the Democrat in Wisconsin, to yeah. uh, Senator Johnson, whose polling numbers were in the toilet. Mandela Barnes is beloved. How did it end up that he lost by 26,000 votes? And I got to tell you, if if you would have read the Washington Post, you wouldn't know. And I'll tell you why. Because I did a study for Black Voters Matter Fund. It was a repeat of a study I did for the ACLU, for the Black Voters Matter Fund, which said that there were 39,000 voters illegally removed from the voter rolls of Wisconsin before this election. Almost every one of them was either a black person in in uh, Milwaukee or a student in Madison. In other words, voters of color, the color being blue. There's 39,000 votes. Mandela Barnes lost by 26,000 votes. And when I say 39,000 votes, I'm not sampling or guessing. I literally have the names and addresses of every one of those illegally removed voters. The names and addresses, which I submitted to the state, and while... They, were, they did stall it in 2020, which is the only reason why Biden won Wisconsin in 2020. The complaint by v- Black Voters Matter did stall it, but then they did it again before 2022 and flipped the state again back into the red column through this illegal purging. Why do I bring this up? The story, Dennis, I originally did that story for, ready? The Washington Post. Believe it or not, Greg Palace in the Washington Post. Because <laughs> they decided they were actually going to do some serious data investigative reporting. But when they got the results, which is that it was all Democrats being removed, they said, that's too partisan. We can't run that story. Your, your story is too partisan. 
I said, I didn't remove the Democrats. The, re, the state did. The, re, the GO, I, it's, you know, it is, yes, it is partisan. Sorry about that. It's racial. It's partisan. It's attack on the youth vote. And by the way, a huge amount of those youth voters were Asian Americans. And it was right. not a coincidence. Not a coincidence at all from our investigation. You didn't get that because the Washington Post spiked it. That's what happened. And what do you think happened in New York? It'll take us five seconds to find out that they were being screamed at. Investigate this guy. Investigate this guy. And by the way, I heard on NPR today that he was just exaggerating his resume. That's not the issue. The guy has no money. He lives in an apartment and he's behind in the rent. And somehow he lent his campaign three quarters of a million. $700,000. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And, you know, I'm sorry. That is a crime. But the real crime is where is your local paper to investigate these things? The answer is if they're busy spiking uh, the election story nationwide, why, you know, so, uh, you know, just ignoring a local race. And now they're kind of embarrassed. They kind of have to do this. And they've done some good work after the election. I I do find that the times are after. Why yeah, they, after? They, I see this is the, this is the, this is, again, this is the backyard of the New York Times. This is their terrain. Look, and in 2020. This, I mean, this is a doozy of a story to miss. I got to tell you, look, back in, um, in so 2000, they, it, they waited, two years later, the New York Times ran a story about the infamous felon purge in the Bush-Gore camp uh, election. That was two years after the fact they picked up our story. Two years after the fact, when there's what they're good at, our main so-called mainstream press, as we call it, is coming out of the hills to shoot the wounded. In other words, if a story's already been broken and it's safe and no one's questioning it and there's no danger and there's no political ramifications, then you can run a great story and win a prize. Look, they were forced by Chelsea Manning to tell the truth with from items from the WikiLeaks documents because it was going to be put out by the Guardian and Der Spiegel and the U.S. would would have had to say, the New York Times, Washington Post would have to say, well, actually, we decided not to run it. So they were forced. So when you see these good stories come out, let me tell you, it's almost like there's a gun against the editor's heads. Yeah, That's what's happening. Remember, the Washington Post, that's our great progressive paper. That's Jeff Bezos. I'm sorry. And, and Yeah. You know, and, that, and we, that may be the answer, two words. And you say, be clear, that's Jeff Bezos because he owns the Washington Post, right? Yes. And also, don't forget, who owns the New York Times? And the archives. The New York Times today, the actual owner is a guy named Carlos Slim, the richest man in Mexico who um, obviously you know, has his, his political interests at heart. Not the Salzberger family. They are technically in charge, but the actual owner, they've uh, remained on paper in charge. But the actual owner is Carlos Slim of, of Mexico, the billionaire. And so you have to understand it's, there is a fear of the real news here. Well, I don't want to get too, too losses because we have some real stories to do. But again, I just told you a good story about Mandela Barnes. The reason he lost was illegal purges of voter rolls of black people and students, especially Asian-American students. I have some of them on camera, by the way, uh, like what happened to my vote? And um, again, that was supposed to be for the Washington uh, Post, and uh, and so it got spiked. But I did get some. There, I want to give ups. I won't let mention their la- names because God forbid they'll probably get fired. 
But uh, I do appreciate that they did lend me some of their excellent statistical and graphics staff to do some of that work. They just didn't print it. So the Black Voters Matter printed it. You know, and yeah, uh, that's... I, I've, I, I've, you know, you, and then they tell you stories. I love when editors tell you stories like, you're really not a journalist until you've had your best story censored. <laughs> or, or killed. Yeah, thank you. You're, you're not yeah, so really a I, I'm laughing, but your best line. So I got to tell you, that's why I do. I hope people really do appreciate KPFA and Flashpoints and the whole Pacifica network for whatever its its flaws, and there are many. But let's uh, face it, you're not going to get this information. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now we are okay. So we have a little time here, Greg. Speaking of what the corporate press wasn't interested in until this moment is a guy by the name of Ali Alexander, whose uh, uh, interview with the, the congressional committees was just released. Um, this was where you documented where you were working on investigating stories uh, that showed how the Republican Party had gone extreme right violent. This yeah, is well, where there are two Ali Alexander Let me bring comes up, yeah. in, right? Okay, so the January 6th committee has released a lot of transcripts, uh, one with Ali Alexander. And if you remember, listeners of Flashpoints actually heard him say in Georgia, and then he repeated it elsewhere, if they don't give us Donald Trump as president, we're going to light this S on fire. He didn't say S. We're gonna, and so he was already calling for mayhem, and he was doing this in coordination with Alex Jones and Nick Fuentes, now, I have to tell you, I could not, once again, other than Flashpoints and the Pacifica Network and the progressive outlets, I could not get this story of Alexander, of Ali Alexander threatening violence and burning down state buildings and burning down government buildings. This is on January 5th, okay? Not 6th. He was already saying this. We had this on camera. We tried to get this out. And thank you uh, for for playing that sound that we had over the air. Finally, this January 6th committee did recognize, by the way, they did cite our work, the January 6th committee, but I haven't seen it in the press. But the January 6th committee did pick it up, brought, hauled in Ali Alexander, uh, got him to turn basically state's witness. Uh, I hope that you'll take some time to talk with our uh, our specialist in, in the guy who filmed Ali Alexander has been hunting him for years. Zach Roberts, he's in the East Coast, and we'll bring him on, I think, next week, if that's okay with you. Great. That would be terrific, um, and yes. Because he's really the expert on hunting this guy down. But believe me, Zach's been talking about Ali Alexander and the danger this guy is central to the January 6th riots. So – you have to understand this was not covered. And by that point, he was on the rep- the payroll, right? He was getting and that was paid. The thing, that was left, by the way, that was left out by the January 6th committee. What we discovered and what Zach uh, Roberts discovered for our team is that Ali Alexander was on the payroll of the Republican National Senate Campaign Committee and on the payroll of the Georgia uh, Republican Party as a get-out-the-vote specialist and he wasn't this is wasn't from way back the reason he was talking about burning down state buildings in in georgia is he was in georgia being paid by the national republicans so the guy's talking about burning down the state house because he uh, because trump was in a fight with um brian kemp the governor so he's talking about burning down the state house while he is on the payroll i called them up and asked them 
I asked him, I did a story for Democracy Now! on this. I asked the Republican Party, why is he on your payroll? He's talking about burning down the state house with your governor in it, your Republican governor. Anyway, this January 6th committee, for reasons I don't understand, did not touch the fact that he was on the payroll of the Republican Party. I wonder why, but I, I'm not, you know, I can't speculate. I can only tell you that's what was excluded. Also very important is that they released the testimony, they being the January 6th committee, released the testimony of Brad Raffensperger, one of our faves. And again, uh, you can see he, he's featured in our film Vigilante, George's vote suppression hitman. Again, available free at, just go to gregpalace.com, click through there. It's only through uh, New Year's Day, no, uh, January 1. But they so they put a so they had Raffensperger testify before the January sixth panel, and he is the Secretary of State of Georgia in start charge of voting. And famously, he received a call um, on December one from Donald Trump. So one question is, is, did he provide testimony that could put any of these characters, including the former president, in prison? Well, first he talked about a call from Senator Lindsey Graham, and he did say that Graham, whose excuse. For calling him, because remember, trying to tamper with the vote count is a felony crime in Georgia and federally. Now, Lindsey Graham was saying his his excuse was that he was doing a survey in his role for the Senate Investigations Committee. So he had a senatorial privilege, which allowed him to make this phone call. But Ravensperger said he never said anything about the Senate Investigations Committee or federal policy or anything. It was purely about how can you find Trump his the 12,000 votes he needs to take Georgia? And uh, it got to the point where Raffensperger basically said, I'll speak to you later, and then never called him back because Raffensperger, he's a very sharp guy. He's not a hero. He's a guy who knows how to stay out of prison. He knows that down the street, literally down the street from him, is a woman watching every move, Fanny Willis, the uh, district attorney of Fulton County, who is in a very indicting mood and he didn't want to join Lindsey Graham in an orange suit. Lindsey Graham has already been targeted by the prosecutor for that, partly for that call. And, and, you know, Raffensperger is a smart enough cat to know that if he stayed on that call and, and started agreeing about, yeah, let's find out ways let's, you know, picking up Graham's suggestion, he'd be in the Hooskow too. Then you had Giuliani. He testified about Giuliani and said that Giuliani actually presented a faked videotape to the uh, Georgia legislature. Uh, the question is for, for the legal beagles, they didn't require Giuliani to testify or present that tape under oath. So the question is, is a fraud upon, is a lie and a fraud upon uh, a legislature a, uh, an indictable offense if you're not under oath? If you're not under oath, you can't commit perjury. So in other words, and remember, Giuliani was a federal prosecutor. He knew exactly what he's doing by not, by basically arranging not to be put under oath. He knew if he was under oath and he, and he uh, played these little fake tapes that, you know, it wouldn't be he'd be read his rights uh, very quickly by Ms. Right. Willis. And then finally, you got, you got the 30 seconds, Greg. OK, 30 seconds. So then we'll pick it up a little bit, uh, maybe another time, too. But we do have the call with Donald Trump. And here's the bad news. I think Trump really believes uh, listening to the call in the transcript. I think Trump believes his stuff. And it's hard to indict a guy who actually believed that all he was doing was writing a wrong. 
that's the dangerous part of that transcript. Trump is not as dumb as he looks. In other words, he played it. He played it well. It's really hard to take any part of his transcript or what he said. It might be odious, awful, unconstitutional, un-American, and terrible. I'm not sure it's indictable. This is he's uh, he knows what he's out. saying. We're going to find out. We're going to leave it right there. Greg, we're going to okay. we're going to continue this. We do want to bring Zach Robertson next week. We yes. want to talk about uh, the courageous work that he's done. We thank you, Greg, as always, for the incredible work. It's Dennis Bernstein. The show's Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio.